Not feeling heard is one of the most frustrating things, particularly when your role and experience point to the fact that you are actually the expert. It happens all the time, though, particularly to women. And this was the situation that faced Joanna Parsons. Joanna is an internal communications consultant, and she also lectures at the PR Institute of Ireland. Before that, she worked at Teamwork, and before that, at the Irish Police. We're going to talk about her story, and you're going to get some amazing insights about internal comms and how you can play your part as a leader. Let's take it away. Welcome to the Leadership for Unicorns podcast. I'm your host, Rob D. Willis, and I work with tech companies all over the world to teach them communication skills and public speaking. Join me as I talk to tech leaders who have seen it all. You'll hear their stories and learn from their experience. So buckle up and let's uncover those gems they won't teach you in an MBA. Hi, Joanna. Welcome to the show. It's really good to have you here. Thank you so much for having me. Maybe for people who aren't familiar with your work or what you're writing about on LinkedIn and in your newsletter, could you just give us a, a quick little introduction to you, what you're working on and, and your team? Yep. So my name is Joanna Parsons. I live in Dublin and I work in internal communications, which for anyone that doesn't know, that's communications within an organization. It's how an organization communicates with its employees. I've worked in this field for more than 10 years across a range of sectors. So I started in the charity sector, worked across financial services, policing, now I'm in tech. And I also do some teaching on the side because I love it. So I teach a class called Strategic Internal Communications with the Public Relations Institute of Ireland. And I also sit on the board of directors with the Institute of Internal Communications. Mm-hmm. I run my own website and newsletter. My newsletter is called The Curious Route, where I take scientific peer-reviewed studies and unpack what can we learn from them to be better communicators. So I think it's fair to say I'm just a total communications nerd. Good stuff. You've got a fellow communications nerd here. And you had a great newsletter today, this morning, actually, about time boxing, which is also something I, I, I really love. So recommend that to anyone of our listeners, and I'll be sure to link to that in the show notes. Uh, but I love you that you took some time to define what internal communications is, because many companies have internal communications leaders, but they're not always understood. And you also talked about all the different kind of companies you've worked in. You've worked in uh, nonprofits, finance, uh, the Irish police, and tech. And I'm wondering, how do you see the role of internal communications as being maybe different across these different industries? That's a great question because I'm always quite shocked by how they're not different. Mm-hmm. Um, like going from when I was in financial services, it was focused on pensions and then I moved into policing and I thought I'll never see any similarities here. And then I knew from policing into tech and I thought it'll be completely different. But actually the same issues of communication come up in every organization, which mm-hmm. is Leaders communicating clearly around the strategy. It's around employees feeling heard and be able to give their feedback. There's always issues around, are you using the right channels? Are you meeting people where they are? Are you communicating clearly? Are you speaking in jargon that nobody understands? I'm always shocked every time I move industry that actually there's more similarities than there are differences. Yeah, I mean, that's something I, I guess I, I find in a similar way working teaching communication skills as well and comparing what 
I learn and what I teach with a sales teacher, with someone in marketing, because it really all comes down to that basic human, how, the way we interact, which is human. And we're all working with humans for the most part, from what I can understand. Yeah. And I'm seeing a real gap. You know, if you think about the way that organizations traditionally communicate with their employees, they tell them stuff. They send these big, long emails, black and white. They have these terrible SharePoint intranets. They have these awful Zoom meetings that are really boring with terrible slides full of graphs. And then you look at how that same organization communicates with their customers. And it's all gorgeous copywriting and lovely aesthetics and colors and, you know, a real deliberate effort to engage people and use consumer-grade communications. Mm -hmm. So a real passion of mine is there shouldn't be such a difference in the quality of communications that you deliver to your customers versus your employees. I'm always saying that your employees are your biggest stakeholder group. You need yeah. to win them over first. They'll look after your customers for you. Yeah. If you don't have a team, if you don't have people, you kind of don't really have a company anymore. So I love that you highlighted that because I mainly, this is a podcast for people working in tech. I'm just wondering, going from the Irish police to technology, it sounds like the biggest kind of leap one could make. Do you, do you still feel that there's maybe that they're so similar, these worlds? Or do you think that tech is behind in some way or ahead in some way? What, what do you see as being the state in particularly tech at the moment? I think the communication challenges are often the same. What was massively different was the culture. I think I had a massive culture shock when I moved from police into tech. So in the police force, it's a very... A hierarchical model. It's like the military. Mm -hmm. So if somebody is at a higher rank than you, you don't call them by their name, for example. You address them by their title. I thought that was weird when I joined, got totally used to it. It's quite more formal and you just have to operate within that system. And I moved from there into quite a small tech company, which was just a totally different ballgame, a real kind of like tech bro culture, very informal. People didn't use email. Everything was on a Slack channel emojis everywhere. It was a totally different vibe. But again, the key to doing any of this really well, and it's kind of the bit that people miss, is you have to understand your audience. That's like communications 101. Mm -hmm. So I, when I was in the police, for example, I spent loads of time just going around police stations, sitting and having cups of tea and understanding what does their day look like? What are their frustrations? How do they receive information? How do they understand what's happening? And then I did the same in the tech world. So really understanding what does a day look like for a software engineer who's fully remote? What does a day look like for a marketing team that are in the office? So that's the key to kind of getting your feet under the ground, yeah. so to speak, when you join a different sector. I think people can feel a bit nervous taking a leap from, say, policing into tech. But the skills are totally transferable. You can do yeah. communications in one organization, you can do it somewhere else. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, I think the reason you're able to do that is because you put so much time into building the empathy for the people who you were talking to. Because without that, exactly. you can't really communicate in a way that they care about or find interesting and so on. And you know, you've been working in tech for a while. Uh, you're now working at, at Bentley Systems. Yes. Yeah. And and I'm wondering, is there maybe a moment in your career in tech where you felt really tested as a leader? I remember sitting in a meeting. 
I was the only communications professional in that meeting. And the meeting was about how to communicate a big organizational change. I was also the only woman in that meeting. And I remember they were kind of saying, maybe we should do this. Maybe we should do that. Now I've loads of experience in change communications. I know how these things work. And I had some ideas of, I really think we should do this. And a lot of my ideas are always around bringing people along the journey. You don't just tell people and expect them to go with you. But I remember sitting in that meeting, I had really good ideas. And I was kind of not shouted down, but I was totally not listened to. And they were like, yeah, yeah, we don't want to do that. And I've, I really felt in that meeting, the men sort of banded together and decided, no, we know what's best. Mm-hmm. We'll do it this way. They did it their way. And the consequences were disastrous. The change was really resisted by employees. They didn't go for it at all. And then, of course, they came to me after asking, well, why was that such a disaster? And I just had to kind of laugh. And I'm like, because you didn't do any of the stuff I recommended. Yeah. Now, it was terrible. And I really felt in that moment, would that have happened if I was also a man? Was that because I was the only woman in that meeting? Was it because I look so young? I don't know what it was. But I remember feeling very tested and kind of feeling like, what am I doing here? Yeah. Like if they don't want my advice and my expertise, what am I doing here? That was kind of a change moment. They listened to me after that. Okay. So you feel that simply through, I guess, having been proven right, uh, they then began to value your work more. Did you feel that there was a noticeable shift after this moment? I think that there was. And I had learned a lot in that moment about how leadership operated in that organization. So there was a couple of things that I did differently after that. One of them was to start building more one-on-one relationships Mm -hmm. with those key people that were in that room. And I started, I'm a big fan of him. I don't know if you know this guy, Robert Cialdini, wrote a book. like Yeah, like the best book ever. But I started pulling on some of his um, principles of influence to try and kind of win over some hearts and minds. Mm-hmm. So one thing I do, I do this on my LinkedIn all the time, but I started actually putting in in conversations was positioning myself as an authority. And I would use the principle of social proof, for example. I go, oh, I have won this many awards and I've been on this board of directors and I'd been on, and I was very much positioning myself as an expert. It feels really awkward to do that in a conversation. Yeah. But that kind of stuff and just spending time with people and building up relationships did help. Mm-hmm. But I felt like, why do I have to do that? Would a man have to do that? That was months of hard work to build that up. So, I yeah. don't know. It is frustrating, isn't it? And I know that's something that a lot of leaders struggle with is they're brought in for a particular job, they're paid for a particular job, and they're just not listened to unless they begin to build up these relationships, have endless one-on-ones, talk to people and so on. It's something I, I see a lot with the kind of work that I'm doing as well, teaching communication skills. And you said you believe that it began to work. Could you put us maybe in a moment where similar meeting, but you were able to speak up and you felt it was different somehow? How did you begin to notice things were changing? I began to notice things were changing when, so my style of working is, uh, if I was to sum up my mission, maybe it's to make the workplace less boring. Uh, So I'm always coming up with like, yeah, like creative ideas. So I remember being in a meeting where there was a new organizational strategy 
had been agreed and it was like, okay, how are we going to communicate this out? You know, what are we going to do? Will we just send out a PDF? Will we do some slides on a Zoom call? And I had actually pitched this idea. We had a, like an in-person meeting coming up mm-hmm. and I said, you could get loads of people up to do PowerPoints, but instead, why don't we take a different approach? Let's do like a like an American chat show type of thing. So let's get a big desk and a couch and we'll have, you know, the CEO will be the host of, say, the David Letterman show. We'll build a big set and we'll have people come up with like the Chemical Brothers blasting on as their intro music. No presentations allowed, just conversations. We'll spin in a few quizzes and games and jokes and do it like that. And do you know what? I got a few kind of looks like that sounds mental, but they went for it and they did it. Mm. And I didn't feel like that was the moment where I went, oh, they're listening to me now. Mm -hmm. You're starting to see that my approach is quite good. And that event was Amazing, by the way. Like employees loved yeah. it. I've never worked anywhere where employees loved a strategy day. They're usually really boring and crap. Yeah. And, yeah. and it wasn't just fun, but like they remembered the stuff after and they understood the strategy because it was done in an engaging way. But that was kind of a turning point where I felt, oh, I'm being listened to now. Mm-hmm. They, they get it. I wish I'd been at that event because it sounds pretty cool. <laughs> But I'm also wondering, it sounds like you were able to come in and suggest something pretty, pretty daring, you know, something which was really off course for these people. And I get the value in building those relationships and communicating in a way that gave you the best possible chance. But do you feel that there was also some kind of internal shift that had to happen for yourself? I mean, imagine being kind of smacked down as you were before might have shaken your confidence. And I'm wondering how you maybe got through that. That's a really good question. And that's something I've dealt with for years, actually. I know some people don't like the term imposter syndrome. Mm-hmm. I think it sums me up pretty good. I'd say I'm over it now, actually. I'm old enough now. But I dealt with that a lot. And I probably still did a bit during this time. And it, it did shake me. You're right. Because you kind of question yourself, like, mm-hmm. am I actually good enough to do this job? Should I really be at this leadership level? I think that's probably why, like, if you go on my LinkedIn I've won tons of awards. Now, every single time I've gone for an award, it's because I have that little voice in my head going, are you really good enough? And I need a little bit of proof. Like I need some external validation. So I enter an award and I win it. And it's almost like patting the back. And I go, okay, I do know what I'm doing. So I think for those kind of bits where you take a knock, it's about stepping back from the situation and reflecting and actually just thinking, well, actually, I do deserve to be here. I do know what I'm talking about. Maybe I just need a slightly different approach the next mm. time. I love the whole growth mindset approach. So if I have a challenge, I don't feel like that's the end. I feel like this is a learning opportunity. Mm-hmm. So what can I learn from that interaction in that meeting that I can change this around? So that's very much. I don't like the word resilience. It doesn't resonate with me. Mm-hmm. But um, just using it to learn and maybe get better the next time. Yeah. And I like gr- the, the key to growth mindset, which I think is relevant for me in this case, is that it's separating the issue from identity. This is not about you. This is about an issue. And maybe you could have handled it better. Maybe it was beyond your control. But what can we learn from it to make it different next time? Did you did you have any, because it's all very well saying, I deserve to be here and so on. Sometimes even that is not enough. 
Do you think there were any particular resources, books, mentors who helped you build up that confidence and believe in yeah. yourself like this? I would 100% recommend for people to get on LinkedIn. If you're not using it all the time, get on it. Because I actually just posted this morning about how much of a tribe I've built up on LinkedIn. Mm -hmm. Like connecting with people who are in my industry, connecting with people who I would see as kind of further down the line than me, people who have more experience, more knowledge. But they're outrageously friendly and will help you. Yeah. You can have conversations with them on LinkedIn. You can jump on a Zoom call. That has helped me enormously. And from my LinkedIn, the real confidence boost I've had is how many people I get contacting me who are actually a little bit further behind than I am, mm -hmm. who are looking for my advice and what my ideas. I'm always shocked every time. I'm like, you want my advice? I'm like, okay. But it's a brilliant place to network with both the people who are ahead and behind you. And it will really give you the the kind of the confidence that you might need, it'll reassure you, actually. Yeah. Uh, you're not the only one struggling with stuff like this. I think building community is of such a valuable thing to do for how you feel inside, for expanding your network. And most of um, the success stories you read about, they will come down to some sort of community being built at some point. I love that. Now, you are an internal communications expert, and I love reading your stuff about internal communications. And you've had a lot of posts in the last few months about the kind of the state of internal communications in companies. And from what we talked about at the beginning, I'm guessing it's going to be pretty universal across industries. Just kind of quickly for listeners who aren't following you, how do you see the state of internal communications in companies at the moment? So internal communications, just to give a, a short definition for anyone that doesn't know, some people think that communicating with your employees is just telling them stuff. You send an email, you publish a blog post. That's not what it is. It's about creating a shared understanding in your organization so that people can deliver on the business goals. So people can't deliver on the business goals, for example, if they don't know what they are, mm -hmm. if they're so complicated, they can't understand them. And during the COVID pandemic, internal communications just soared because every organization in the world realized, oh God, all our workers are suddenly gone home. We're all coping in crisis. We need to communicate with them better mm -hmm. and we need to do that well. And it's critical to business success. It was like the penny dropped. Now I can see in the last, say, six months that is starting to dwindle a bit. Yeah. And I can see that maybe people are going, ah, we don't need that as much. I would say internal communications is business critical. And I would often describe it as like the oil in an engine. So mm -hmm. it's going to reduce the friction in your organization. It's going to speed things up. It's going to help you deliver on your strategy quicker. Mm -hmm. That's what you want. Um, but the types of job ads I see for internal communications these days are mental. I saw one recently. I had a good rant on LinkedIn about this. They wanted one person. This was in an organization. I think it was 800 people. They wanted one person to develop the strategy, act as a senior advisor to leaders, create all the content, run all the channels, make videos, do graphic design, other projects as required. And also this person was supposed to do diversity and inclusion, make a strategy for that, run all the ERGs, do all the projects, host events measure and evaluate all of that. And I just thought, this is an organization that does not get it. Yeah. I really, I felt so angry about it because I felt so lovely 
well-intentioned person is going to go for that job and get it and they're going to absolutely burn out and be exhausted and yeah. probably never want to work in internal columns again. So I think, you know, for an organization that understands that it's important, you can't have, like, for that one role, that was probably the job of six people. You yeah. want one person to do it. So that worries me for moving into that space where people see it as a kind of a tick box. Mm-hmm. That concerns me a bit. And in a company like that, for instance, a company where they're not getting their internal comms game right, for leaders who are working in those, those companies who aren't working in internal comms, what do you think are the kind of symptoms they're going to notice when comms are not done right in a company? Yeah, there are loads of ways you can see it. There's a great saying in the internal communications community, which is what happens inside is reflected outside. So the way that you treat and engage your employees is how they're going to treat and engage your customers. So the types of things you'll start to see when your internal communications are really bad is you're going to start to see more people leaving. So your your voluntary attrition is going to start to go up. Mm-hmm. If you're running any sort of NPS or employee engagement score, they're going to start dropping down. People are like, oh, why? Generally, morale will drop. You'll tend to see drops in productivity mm-hmm. and that sort of that sense of people being willing to go above and beyond that can start to dwindle so communications is one ingredient of employee engagement but it's the crucial ingredient yeah. so people need to have that understanding of where's the business going how do i fit into that and why does it matter that's what people need yeah i totally agree And I'm just wondering, for someone who's maybe in that situation and maybe isn't a CEO with all the power to hire whoever they want, but maybe they're, you know, a senior leader, you begin to see exactly the kind of symptoms you're talking about. And they feel that internal comms is not up to scratch. What is the next step? Because just hiring a load of people and saying, get on with it, sort it out, that also wouldn't work. So what do you feel are the essential first steps to overcoming those challenges? So the very first thing that I would recommend that you do is to get somebody in, a consultant, someone from outside to do an internal communications audit because Mm -hmm. you really need to understand where you are right now, Mm -hmm. what's not working. Don't start trying to fix things. I hate this term, quick wins. People go, we'll make a newsletter and be a quick win. Don't do that. Find out what the problem is first. Yeah, yeah. The same, you know, if you had a problem with your customers and they all hated the product or they hated your website, you wouldn't just start making fixes. You would talk to them and you would really understand their pain points and their frustrations. You would wonder, are these the right channels we're using? Is this the right content? Do that, but do that internally. And it really helps to get an outsider to come in and do it because it gives a lot more credibility. If you're a senior leader and you see this as a problem, Mm -hmm. the rest of your leadership team doesn't think it's a problem. They probably won't listen to you. But there's a lot to be said for, oh, well, the consultant said, you know, we need to fix X, Y, and Z, having that external voice. So that's the first bit to really understand and baseline where you are now and what the problems are. And then you can come up with solutions. Yeah, true. It's like, what is is it Einstein who said, if I had an hour to solve a problem, I'd spend 59 minutes defining the question and one minute answering it. Oh, that's great. I like that. It's, I'm, pro- I'm probably bastardizing the, the, the phrase. But it's, <laughs> along, it's along those lines. Okay, but let's say a company is okay. Like they've got the things in place and they do value it. 
people who aren't working internal comms, leaders, what part should they be playing to make sure that it is working, that they, that they you know, contribute to the oil in the machine, as you say? Yeah, there's loads, and especially at a leadership level. I think the main thing for leaders to understand, I did, I was reading this amazing research when I was in the police, and it was all about how people of, in the police, we would call them like lower ranks mm-hmm. or subordinates, what a terrible word, but they will absolutely scrutinize the actions and behaviors of senior leaders. They will watch them very closely for signals around what's important, what's tolerated here, what's the kind of behavior that is promoted here. And they will listen very carefully when they speak. And I think leaders can easily forget that employees will hang on their every word. So for every leader, you need to be communicating clearly about, particularly of your own department, what does the big organizational strategy mean for them? Break it down. What are your own department goals? How do people fit into that? And also, you know, some storytelling about the impact of their work. That will yeah. go a huge way. Get some customers in. If you have a bunch of software engineers, get some customers in to talk about how brilliant the product is that they have built. Mm-hmm. They'd be like, oh my God, this is amazing. So I think I love this question because internal comms doesn't just sit with the communicator or the internal comms team. Every leader should be communicating better. What an internal communicator can do is to support leaders maybe who aren't great at communicating, who need some help or yeah. a bit of guidance on what should I do, the format, the language, the messaging. But every leader should be playing a good role in that. And also, I think another thing I've witnessed a lot in companies is people, as you say, hang on to the words of people, their bosses, bosses, boss, like the, the top of their department, more than someone from the internal comms team. Because they think, oh, well, they're part of the same tribe in inverted commas, as me. That's the person I look up to, I want to emulate and so on. That's why I was so interested to see what you say about like how can people play their role. I thought you were going to talk about working with me documents. You know those things? Oh yeah, no. And I think you're right there because uh, particularly, you know, some organizations have been in, they're not interested in like, they call it like the corporate bullshit. They don't want the generic updates from the center, from a communications team. They don't know who we are. They don't care. They don't trust us, Mm -hmm. but they will trust the management that are directly above them. They're the ones that they look up to. So there's where the leader's role comes in and that credibility and that sense of belonging. And we're all working together and we're in this as a team. Yeah, That's the voice of credibility. I noticed your expression when I said working with me documents. I'm sensing a lack of enthusiasm for them. (laughs) I mean, I think they're fine. I think lots of people spend time creating them and kind of just put them in a folder and never use them. I think if they're actually used and discussed, Mm -hmm. grants, I think so people create them with good attention, but maybe the bit is where there's conflict between in a team of how they want to work together or if there's a everyone likes email and then this guy hates email. You need to actually have the difficult conversation of, flushing that out and coming up with the consensus of how does this all work? Otherwise, what's the point? Yeah, true. And as you say, there's no point in any kind of document if you're never going to use it. Like You can drop these huge, extensive best practices. I'm sure this is often something that internal comms teams are frustrated with. They create this, they're asked to create this stuff, which is just not engaged with. 
and sits in a folder somewhere and they put all this work in, but it doesn't actually result in action. I saw a girl once, the very best of intentions, she worked in HR and she spent ages come up with this like manager toolkit all about how to run a meeting and how to involve people and mm-hmm. how to take minutes. And she spent months on it and then produced this thing, had a little launch event and it was never spoken about ever again. Just kind of sat in a drawer and that was it. And there was no plan for follow-up or measurement or evaluation or yeah. that's the kind of thing that kind of annoys me. Like, what was the point of that? Yeah, it, you see the same thing in learning as well. They think, oh, let's create a course. Let's do a program with no real work put into, okay, how do we implement it? How do we make sure those lessons are, are taken on? But just to, to think back on our, on our conversation, just kind of circle back to the, uh, the story you told then about being able to speak up in meetings, build up that communication and the mindset that you had to take on, which I, I think really is kind of the role of an internal comms person. I love how you thought about this. You started to do yourself, you engaged and understood the problems of different people. And then through that, you were able to then bring about quite a, a drastic change and put on this amazing event. And I love to ask this question to guests. If you were to turn that story into a business book, what would be the title? How to not take no for an answer. I love it. How to not take no for an answer. (laughs) I'm terrible at taking no for an answer. That's the theme of my life. (laughs) And that persistence is, everyone I know who's achieved a level of success, I would say persistence is one of the key words that I would use to describe most of them. Like just being able to push through what they believed in and what was for the best. But it's been lovely chatting to you today. Where can people find out more about you, Joanna? So you can go on my website, which is joannaparsons.com, or you can find me on LinkedIn. Awesome stuff. And I'll be sure to link to all of that stuff in the show notes. But once again, thank you so much for coming on the show, Joanna. Thanks a million. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Leadership for Unicorns podcast. Before you head off, I've got a small request to make. If you know another tech leader who would appreciate some of the ideas from this episode, please just click share and send it over to them. Also be sure to hit subscribe and review the show wherever you listen to podcasts. It really does help. Until next time, I've been your host, Rob D. Willis. Thank you and goodbye.